This episode is sponsored by the ALW Communications Agency. Visit www.alwagency.com for all your communications needs. This is the Dreamers Podcast, episode 101. Today is December 20th, 2022. I think what people really need to start with is accepting that we all have a money story. Every single one of us believes something about money. We were raised, money doesn't grow on trees, money is everywhere, money is easy, money is hard. Mm-hmm. Identify your money story. Hello, world. Welcome to the Dreamers Podcast. I am Annie's Wealth. I am a financial coach and an author. I self published my first book, Dream of Legacy, a guide to help dreamers reach financial independence and build generational wealth. In this podcast, I'll have conversations with experts and thought leaders who dare to follow their dreams. You'll hear about their journey and their money stories. I hope it inspires you, dreamers out there, to live life on your own terms. Come on, dreamers. Let's change the world. This podcast is brought to you by Dream of Legacy. Check out dreamoflegacy.com for resources to assist you on your journey to financial independence. Before we get into today's episode, please take a couple minutes to go into Apple Podcasts if you're listening from an Apple device to rate and review the podcast. If you appreciate the free resources that are provided in this podcast, then the best way to let me know is to do just that. Reviews help the podcast be more visible and it helps other dreamers discover the podcast. So thank you. I appreciate you. And now let's get back to today's episode. Hello, welcome to the Dreamers Podcast. I'm your host, Annie's Wealth. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Dreamers Podcast. I cannot believe that today is December 20th and that we are literally 11 days away from the end of 2022. It sounds absolutely crazy to me because I feel like the year just started literally two seconds ago. But For me, it's just a reminder that time flies and we cannot afford to waste time. In today's episode, we'll touch on five tips to help you elevate your mindset and your wealth in 2023 and beyond. And it is a special episode. It is a medley of some of the best tips from Tanya Rapley, Terry Egioma, Jacint Wamala, Natalie Bullen, and Patrice Washington. My team and I really wanted to capture some of the amazing gems that have been shared on the podcast when it comes to what you can do to elevate your mindset and your wealth. And I cannot wait to get into today's episode. So here it is. How has paying for peace impacted your finances? Oh, my finances are probably quadrupled. Mm, I love it because... Yeah, I was just going to say, when I am paying for peace in one area of my life, right? So let's take my housekeeper, for example. She comes three days a week. She comes Monday, Wednesdays, and Saturdays. So she works like half days, maybe four hours, four to five hours, and she batches her tasks, right? On Wednesday, she does laundry. If I did laundry, first of all, no way I would get it done in four to five hours. It would definitely be an eight to nine hour ministry, right? 
because I already don't want to do it. It's going to take me forever to fold. I'm going to be arguing with my daughter about how she folds because she's not helpful when folding clothes. (laughs) Then there's putting it up. There's like all this stuff. Well, in eight or nine hours, based on my rates, there's a lot of things that I could get done. Those are podcast episodes that could be recorded. Those are speaking opportunities that I might have. That's time that I can spend thinking through how we're going to get more people in our next launch and our next program. That's time that I may be talking to my agent about brand partnerships I would like us to go over. So the investment of having Miss Jenny do the laundry on Wednesdays that allows me to now have the time and space and energy and creativity to think through my money making tasks. If I was doing laundry, my husband's not paying me to do laundry. Newsflash. I'm not getting anything for it. He's not paying. Not me. So instead of using that time in that way, me being able to redirect my focus to things that I know I can do to create more income, there's no comparison. There's Mm. absolutely no comparison. Paying Miss Jenny 150 bucks for the day versus me being able to do something that could create $15,000. Where's the comparison? And that didn't start now. I was doing that even when we didn't have the money. Yeah. You expand on that. Because I remember that you shared some tips and tricks that you used when you didn't have the financial resources. Yep. When I didn't have the money that I have now, I even bartered with Miss Angela. Miss Angela used to help us take care of Reagan back in the day. And we had a spare bedroom and she needed room and board. We bought a little car that she could use to do her other gig, but also to pick Reagan up and go back and forth to school. And Miss Angela would cook and stuff. But we were really bartering for room and board. She lived with us. She was a teacher at one of Reagan's old schools. She was like an, a teacher's aide or something like that. And we just loved her. Reagan just loved her to pieces. She was like her Atlanta grandma. We were able to barter with her. And Miss Angela helping with Reagan allowed me to write my first book. Had Miss Angela not been there, all the hours that I didn't have to worry about picking Reagan up from school because I could go to Starbucks and just sit there and really get the words out and work through it. Having Miss Angela and having that support helped me write the first book, which was the catalyst for so many. I mean, now I'm on my fifth book. So it was a catalyst for so much that would come. But it was like, how do I get that level of support? I didn't have the money, but I was able to barter at that time. That was like 2011. I was able to barter. I remember when I first came to Atlanta, I bartered with a young lady. She needed the help with the books and stuff for her salon. And so I was like, well, because I didn't have money for hair and nails. She had a full service salon. So you could get your hair done, nails done, eyebrows waxed, all the stuff. I think lashes. I was getting everything. I was bartering with her. Okay, I need these services. So getting those services allowed me to keep myself kept up so that I could go out and network and meet people. That was like 2010. So I was able to use one of the things I was gifted in and skilled in. I bartered with her and I did that for probably 10 months or so. But for 10 months, I had my hair done. Now, financially, I had no money to be getting hair, nails, eyebrows, lashes, but I looked (laughs) like I had it. But I was bartering with her. And I just think that, I mean, that was bartering, but getting in the mindset that I'm willing to pay for peace or to use my gifts and skills to like get what I need in order to move what I want to do forward is also, for me, it was a wealthy habit. It's a wealthy habit to think that way. Because I think a lot of us think in terms of scarcity. So we make it about what I can't do. Mm-hmm. And as long as you talk about what you can't do, you're not going to do it. You're not going to think through a way to make it happen. 
I love all of this. I think a lot of times we approach life from a place of lack. I don't have enough money to do this. Not necessarily thinking, hey, I could actually take this time to go earn more. Or I have resources. I can be creative and figure out a way to get that done. And I just love, love, love this. How can we shift our beliefs? How can we let go of those beliefs about money that don't serve us? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think what people really need to start with is accepting that we all have a money story. Every single one of us believes something about money. We were raised, money doesn't grow on trees, money is everywhere, money is easy, money is hard. Mm -hmm. Identify your money story. My money story is erroneous. It was that hard work paid off. Mm. I yes. come from a school of hard workers. Okay. Very common in the community. Very common. My grandfather was a hard worker. My mother is a hard worker. She's in her 70s, still working, much to my chagrin. Okay. So I was taught if long as you just keep working and they put the Bible in it, right? The idle hands, the idle mind is the devil's workshop, the whole thing. I think that you should work to stay busy, to have purpose, if you like, but working doesn't create wealth. So identify your money story. You need to understand where that story comes from. Don't blame your parents, but understand it's your parents' story. It's your husband's story. It's your grandparents'. It's not yours. You didn't write it. You're not married to it. And then you need to start disproving it. So for me, I had to work less. For me, I had to meet millionaires who barely worked at all. I started to actively seek out people who had wealth without hard work. Mm. I had to disprove my story because until I disprove, I'm an intelligent person. You are too. Black women are the most educated group of people in the United States. We're the most educated demographic. You can't just tell a black woman a data point like that and just walk off. You got to have some proof. So I tell them, disprove your story. Whatever you believe, start actively finding people who make that story untrue. Mm. Then you got a big hurdle. You need to disassociate your self-worth from your net worth. That one is powerful. Mm. You got to stop with this. I'm a banker. I'm a lawyer. I'm a CPA, CFP, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. We string all these letters behind our names to give ourselves purpose. You got to disassociate your self-worth from your net worth, your degrees, your marital status, the money, your bank account, all of it. You have value as a person, as a child of God, if you are a believer. You have value, period. Whether someone buys from me or not, whether someone listens to this episode of this podcast or not, whether somebody likes me on Facebook or not, I have value. And if I can recognize that, then I can detach myself from these frivolous outcomes that keep me trapped in this money store. I was trapped in the hard work money store because to me, my self-worth was attached to my job title mm. and it was attached to my work ethic. People thinking I was a hard worker was important to me. I used to tout how many hours I worked. I was proud. Mm. I was burnt out, but I was proud. I was arrogant about my hard work. I called people lazy. Now I'm the lazy one. I don't want to work at all. I want to put $10 million in the stock market and never, ever clock in again. But that's a shift. And that only happened when I started meeting wealthy people. And once you've done all this, you could choose a new story and act on it. So now my new story is that I can become wealth with flow, wealthy with flow and ease. 
I can become wealthy working 10 hours a week if I want or zero hours a week if I want. Like the amount of coaching clients, the amount of work, the amount of hours is negligent to the dollar amount I want to have. And so at that point, it's easy. Then you just need to commit to making the changes, small changes like my calendar. What of this is necessary? What of this do I have to do? And what of this am I doing because of my hard work trauma? Mm. And forgive myself for living so long in that wrong mind state. So it's some inner work that has to happen, but it can be done. Anyone can rewrite their money story. We just purchased our first investment property. One of my goals is to build a real estate portfolio that my son can inherit, but that also leads to us generating passive income so that I can create even more time freedom and flexibility and give myself even more options. So that's one thing. I mean, investing in the market, investing in my son's stock portfolio actually reminds me this morning, I need to buy him some more stocks. I try to buy at least $250 each week. So purchasing and adding money to my son's portfolio, his $529. Just really understanding the importance of delayed gratification and balancing that with immediate gratification and making decisions that allow our money to grow, not spending everything that I have available to me and investing in assets that allow my money to grow. Can you share about your first real estate experience, well, at least as an investor? We did a Burr method. So Burr is buy, renovate, refinance, and then repeat, which means that you buy a house that needs some work. You renovate it to force appreciation, which means to drive up the home value. And then you rent it out. For me, it's rent. Some people sell it. For me, it's rent so that I can hold it as an asset and generate passive income from it or cash flow from it. And then repeat the process, find another one and do it again. So we're also in the process of looking for our next property that we will purchase. We'll probably purchase two more in the coming months. But the process, I really wish I would have started sooner. The thing that I think has been most valuable is I found a mentor. One of my mentors, Erica Brown, she is based here in Atlanta. She's done it several times. I think that in business, I released the limitations, but I think in real estate, I always had these preconceptions and she helped me bust through all those myths. I was like, I've got to have 20% to buy my first investment property. Boom. No, you don't not. If you get a hard money lender, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. The deal went so quick. We talked to her. We visited the place on November 12th. We put an offer in November 22nd. We were closing by December 13th. And now even in renovation. So I'm learning a lot of things in that. I probably will do a video on things that I have learned because I've been learning a lot, but I wish I would have started sooner. So what's the biggest thing you learn in this process? Your team is so important. Your team going from your lenders, your real estate agents to help make sure that you're getting a deal to make sure the numbers work. They're helping you assess properties. And I would say one of the biggest things is having an understanding of how much work is going to cost. Right now, we're about $15,000 over budget and we had it. And it's also because I'm a little picky. So I want a new trim on the house. And I was like, we can't put them in there with those windows. We got to paint the outside. So I'm a little picky when it comes to the house. And those are things that were extra, but it really is know your numbers. Study YouTube videos, know your numbers. Have a good understanding of how much work is going to go into a property because you make money on the front of the deal, basically. If you buy the house at a good price, then you'll make money. But if you buy the house at a loss, then it's going to take you longer to recruit that if you're going to hold it as an investor, as a buy and hold. So you have transformed your finances over the past decade for anyone who might be like Tanya seven, eight years ago. Do you have any advice or maybe like steps that they can take to get started and transform their own finances? A lot can happen. And I'm a testament to that. Start with that one thing you feel like is preventing you going to your next level. For me, that one thing was credit. Because once I started to understand credit, I was able to build discipline in other areas, which allowed me to create discipline around my budget. It allowed me to create discipline around my savings. But I didn't require myself 
to become a budgeting expert or a savings expert when I got started. I focused on one thing and then I built on that foundation from that one thing. So I would say, think about what your most immediate goal is, what you want to accomplish this year. Focus on that. Learn what you need to accomplish that. Get that win under your belt, build your confidence, and then move to the next thing. How does one identify their trauma when it comes to their financial trauma? I think it really comes down to the quickest thing that comes to my mind is if you were to look at your bank account, what are some of the initial things that come to mind? Is it tough for you to even look at your bank account? Some people don't even want to check on what's going on with their money because they're money avoidant. And some people are money obsessive. So doing an inventory on what comes up for you mentally Mm. and emotionally, sometimes even physically, people have responses when dealing with money. When you think about spending money, what comes up for you? When you think about spending money, are you like, oh no, this is a bad idea. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I should. Like if you're questioning yourself and going back and forth, those are indicators of something. Because again, trauma is difficult, distressing life experiences. If it's causing you stress in any any way, shape, and form, that's an indicator of something that needs to be investigated and looked at. And then you can also, if you, someone wants a formalized assessment, there's people who are certified financial therapists. And you can also, if you want to do your Google life and WebMD yourself, diagnose yourself with, <laughs> with financial trauma, go ahead. But yeah, you could easily also go online and you would be able to see if you looked at financial trauma, it'll actually give you some indicators as far as what qualifies. Are there any tricks that you use with your patients to help them once they've identified their trauma, actually deal with it so that they can get in the mindset to build wealth as opposed to just continue to be stressed? Yeah. So I love being able to break things down into the smallest, most bite-sized pieces, just because I feel like so many people feel overwhelmed that that's why they back up or they turn the other direction, they run, they hide. So breaking it down to the smallest possible thing is one of the tricks and tips that I use with my clients. So that's why oftentimes on my Instagram page or whatnot, what to me seems like, for lack of a better word, a very simple breakdown is amazing to someone else because they just never thought to do it that way. So if it's like you want to save $1,000 in 30 days, just divide that by the month. You can save $1,000. You can save $500 twice in the month. You can save $250 a week. And then people are like, what? That's amazing. Just break it down, y'all. You can break it down to the day and realize, oh, it's not that much money. When I think about it, I spend that much at Starbucks. I spend that much at Target. I spend that much at Chick-fil-A. I could send that to my savings or whatever the case may be. So I use a combination of just breaking things down psychologically for them to be more palatable and doable for somebody as opposed to being overwhelmed. And then the other thing that we do is really teach them how to essentially talk to themselves. It sounds weird, but (laughs) there was a guy, I was listening to a book, I think, and he said, I talk to myself more than I listen to myself. And he had done many Ironmans and all that fun stuff, some crazy physical feats. And it makes so much sense because if we just listen to the chatter that's going on in our heads, we have, I think, almost like 80, 90,000 thoughts a day. Mm -hmm. And those thoughts are typically the same negative thoughts from the day before, from the decade before, from childhood. Mm -hmm. So if we just sit around and continue to listen to the tape that's already playing, guess what? We're going to be recreating the same reality that we've been experiencing. Mm -hmm. But if we can start getting engaged in that conversation, then we can start reprogramming, replacing, and removing some of the thoughts that don't serve us in this season. 
when you are investing, right, there's always the risk of losing your investment. For people who are maybe interested in picking up trading as, I don't know, a side hustle, how do they go about making sure that they don't lose everything they have? There are a couple tips that I'll give here. So one, in order not to lose everything that you have, one first step is to trade in a simulator with fake money. (laughs) One of the things I see people do is they have no idea what they're doing, but they just throw money into a brokerage (laughs) account and they're like, I'm going to figure it out. Lo and behold, they don't know what they're doing and they start losing money. But you can do that in a simulated account with fake money. And there's several different platforms that have simulators. There's one called TradingView. There's one called Rapunzel. It's an app. A lot of high school students use Rapunzel. They have a competition that gives you money for college. Um, You could use, I think TD Ameritrade has a simulator. So just Google what Brokers have simulated accounts where I can practice without having to use my real money. So that's step one. Use a simulator first. Step two is these risk management steps that I've been telling you about. So learning about a stop loss order that could get you out of the trade, learning about your quantity size, even learning the education on the front end of when's the best time to get in and out of a stock. That's that charting I was talking about. So your education is probably step two. When you become more educated, you'll learn more about these risk management tools and charting tools, and that too will help you not lose as much. There's going to be sometimes, like I said, it's investing. So you got to know there's always a risk with investing, but the goal is for your wins to be at least three times your losses. You said 10 or 11 years you've been trading. You know, I was listening to an interview that you did on the Journey to Launch podcast, and you were able to become financially independent in the process? Yes. My assistant principal income, it was about 60000 And at the end of the year, we would get a bonus if our school did well. So it really only added up to about $200 a day. And for me, I wanted a little cushion. So I said, if I could just make $300 a day trading stocks, then I can replace my income. So that was my original goal. All I needed was $300 a day and I could leave. And I started working myself up. I actually used some old 401k money from other jobs. I put that into a self-directed IRA account and I started practicing with that money. Okay, Terry, let's do this. Like first I was, like I said, you're not good right away. So at first I was just trying to be positive. Like, let me just not lose. Then I said, okay, hundred dollars a day, 200, 300. And I was able to consistently work myself up to $300 a day on a consistent basis. Cause sometimes you have some wins, sometimes you have a loss. So averaging about $300 a day, I made it. I was able to quit, replace my whole assistant principal income. And now you are educating others how to trade. I saw something, you want to teach people how to make a thousand dollars a day trading. Can you talk maybe a little bit about some of the traits that the people who are able to have thousand dollar days on a regular basis, what is it that they do better than the others? Yes. Oh my gosh. Our kid, uh, I said our kids, I've been educated too long, but my students who are actually adults, like I'm teaching people from 18 years old to 68 years old. Some of the things that makes those students successful is one, sticking to that seven step strategy. 
whenever a student does well and I kind of ask them, well, what do you think led to your success? They're like, Terry, I just did what you told me to do. (laughs) I picked the right companies. I looked at the charts, got in at the right time, took some profit. Like I did it. And they're so excited. I do think that it takes discipline though. If you're asking like, well, what makes them more successful than others? Discipline, Mm -hmm. being able to like really control your emotions, um, being able to not be greedy. That's a big thing that comes up in trading. You'll see it going. It's made its thousand dollars in a day, but the only way to actually make the profit is you have to sell and being able to sell the stock at the right time to actually bring in that income. is important. There you go. Five tips to elevate your money and your wealth in 2023 and beyond. I hope you enjoy today's episode and I cannot wait to see you back here next week for the last episode of 2022. Wishing you a very happy holiday season. I hope you get to spend time with loved ones. If the holidays are a difficult time for you, I'm sending you my best wishes. See you next week for the last episode of the year. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Dreamers Podcast. You can find the episode show notes and all of the links mentioned at dreamoflegacy.com. If you liked today's episode, here's what you can do to support me and help more dreamers discover the podcast. Follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate and review the podcast to help the podcast gain more visibility. Share the podcast with your family, friends, and co-workers. And if you really enjoyed today's episode, please take a second to tag me at thedreamers.podcast on Instagram and let me know what you liked about today's episode. All right, dreamers, that's it for today. I will see you back here next week for another episode of The Dreamers Podcast. Okay, dreamers. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It is not intended to provide any tax, legal, financial planning, insurance, accounting, investment, or any other kind of professional advice or services. Please consult with an appropriate tax, financial, or legal professional to receive appropriate advice based on your situation. Skincare day is one of the ways I keep my sanity in these crazy times. Jumino is an all-natural, black-owned skincare brand, carefully handcrafted by parents who could not find the proper care solutions to address their family skin problems. All Jumino products are made of organic and high-quality ingredients meticulously chosen to give your skin the smooth results and the glow it deserves.